0: Hi, and welcome to a Dad's Path podcast. We're real dads solving everyday problems. Each week, we tackle issues that dads everywhere face and deliver actions you can take right away. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode and go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. Our goal is to help you make fatherhood count. Dad on. Hi, and welcome to another episode of A Dad's Path Podcast. I'm Will Bronstein. Today, I'm here with Jim Shields. Jim is the host of the 18 Summers Podcast, the co-host actually with his wife, and the co-author of the Family Board Meeting Book, which we're going to talk about in depth and has some really great tips. But first, welcome, Jim. Thanks, Will. Good to be here. Awesome. And you can find the 18 Summers Podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen, and the Family Board Meeting Book on all the major book sites. So you should be in good shape. And first, I want to talk about the 18 summers podcast, if we could hear Jim, refers presumably to the 18 summers you have with your kids before they're leaving home. Is that the idea? Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, when I first started doing family talks, a mentor of mine said that to me, and it it hit so hard when I started to share it with audiences, it hit them so hard, that simple math equation of those 18 summers. You know, you have only 18 summers, till most kids move away or, you know, go on to the next stage in life. And then there was actually a study that showed the average person will spend about 85% of the time they ever have with their children by the end of the 18th summer. And that makes sense when you really think about it, because time minimizes after that 18th year. A lot of the times if they're going on, they're going off. So I really wanted to make the most of that time. I run another uh, investment company as well with our parent education. So it's something that I took really seriously. And it's a simple math equation that so many people need to understand. So how do we make the most of those 18 summers? How do we make sure our kids want to come back after they're 18? That's kind of what our podcast is about. And we try to bring in experts who are well-known a lot of the time, but don't always talk about their family life. But I knew from behind the scenes, they had successful family lives, even running big businesses or uh, being involved in different ventures. And so I always wanted to get their take. And that's what the podcast is about.
0: I like that a lot. And, you know, and I think 18 is depending on the family even stretching it right because it's <laughs> at some point the teenage years the kids are maybe they're home but they're less engaged or it's harder to keep them engaged
1: yeah my 7 year old wants to hang out with me a lot more than my 16 year old that's just you know that's just the way it is so yeah time really does diminish and i think it was a friend of mine david bach he's a popular financial author he said to me jim the years are not all equal just remember that And so that's something really to take hold of because a lot of information out there and entrepreneurship and building businesses says, you know, put your head down for five or 10 years and go for it. And your family will understand and you'll be able to enjoy them later. That's really bad advice. You have to enjoy them along the way and nurture along the way or it's a very bad recipe for disaster if you don't.
0: Totally agreed. Though, in my shoes, it's easy to agree and harder sometimes in practice. You're a successful entrepreneur, you run companies, a successful podcast, and you have a successful family, you know, where you're working, it sounds like you do. So I guess I'd be curious, how do you have that work-life balance knowing that, how old are your kids? We range from four months to 18. So four
1: months, five, seven, 16, and 18. So we got quite a range.
0: So you have the whole range, you know. So some you should be spending, you know, per your point, a lot more time with. And others, you know, the older ones you want to be, but maybe you don't have as much. And you're balancing successful businesses and keeping your businesses afloat. So what have you found that works for that work-life balance? Or is balance the right word? I mean, how would you describe yeah, I used to use the word balance. And a friend
1: of mine, Dan Martell, who was just on our podcast, he introduced me to the word integration. I really like that work-life integration, uh, how to make sure your business ties in with your lifestyle and how your lifestyle ties in with your business. And that always that made a lot of sense to me because balance, you know, those old scales that we had in school, you'd put the little cube on the one side and you had to, I mean, it has to be exactly right or right. It just goes off. So that makes it really difficult. Integration was more more fluid. And I really enjoyed that concept more because the one thing I can tell you is I feel I have a great family life. No family life is perfect. You know, this, whoever started that silly saying the perfect family did a horrible justice to families worldwide because I haven't met one in 10 years working with thousands of families. It's not about perfection. It's about, all right, let's look at our imperfections. How do we bridge them and make the most of the time we have together? When you start to take perfection off the table, that helps. That's probably the number one step I'd say for everyone out there. Oh, I want to have a better family life. Great. Well, strive for better, but not perfection. Perfection puts a lot of pressure on you, your spouse, your kids, and that's no good. And also balance. Again, if you're one cube off, then the other one is out of whack. Think about integration. How do I integrate my family life to work with my business and my business to work with my family life? That might give you a better yin yang of how to approach it.
0: That absolutely resonates more. Balance is sort of a delicate, (laughs) whereas integration is, hey, this is life. You know, it needs to be part of life. We need to have family in our life. We need to have a job in our life. Our business needs to be integrated. So can you give an example of how you've been able to integrate the two?
1: Yeah. So for my real estate investment company, for example, I was at an investor meetup in Dallas, Texas last week and my two oldest sons went with me. The man who runs it, I work with a lot of these investors, was inviting families, and I joined the organization because it had a focus on strong family bonds. So I pick trips where my family can attend with me. I try to schedule around my priorities where I give flexibility to myself, where if I have to work extra, I can work extra, but if I need to stop in the middle of the day to go to something for an activity or school, I have no guilt and no hesitation to do so. I don't travel that much anymore unless my family's invited. I don't have a faraway office. I normally work from home most of the time now. So there's things that I've been able to do to integrate it to keep it closer to home.
0: That's smart. I like that a lot. You know, you also talked about perfection, which resonated, you know, because I, I mean, I run a parenting website. I want to be the perfect dad. I want to have a perfect family. And I don't, Jim. (laughs) So (laughs) you're not alone, Will. I told you, you would be alone
1: if you did have a perfect family, because I haven't met one yet.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and I appreciate hearing that. And, you know, again, I certainly feel that. I know our audience struggles with specifically making mistakes, right? When you do something you know is not how you want to be as a dad or as a family, that's a challenge that I personally have. I know other people that listen have had. I'd be curious in your experience, you know, how do you accept those mistakes, either from your clients or yourself where, you know, you've lost your temper, you've done something you're not proud of? Are you communicating that to your kids, to your partner, what do you find kind of works there? First and foremost is careful of perfection there. Because when we put perfection
1: on, this happened to me a lot, you know, oh man, I have this family education company and hosting events and giving talks. You know, if I get in an argument, I would get really down like, oh my gosh, who am I? Like, I shouldn't be talking about family. And whether you're like us running your own podcast on family or that, you're still hard on yourself. And I'm not saying not to hold yourself accountable, but to overbeat yourself on possibly a small mistake, which I watch a lot of people do, including myself back in the day, then you also lead yourself to bigger mistakes. And it just doesn't serve. You're not holding yourself accountable. You're holding yourself to extreme criticism, and that's not going to help you develop and grow. So I always say, hold yourself accountable, but don't be too hard on yourself know that whether you're a community leader or a school teacher or like us with your own family podcast you're not going to be perfect and one of the best things you can do is just apologize fast and sincerely apologies i've learned for a lot of entrepreneurs i work with are not easy they're usually very fire red go-getters and you know they're good negotiators or salesmen and so it'd be easier to negotiate or just take almost the authority role of well i get immunity because i've been working so hard i'm running this business don't grant yourself immunity over a you know, six-year-old. That's just a bad idea. Admit you're wrong or you're that and give a sincere apology. It'll really recharge the relationship quick. Like I've said, an apology within 10 minutes can save a four-day debacle. <laughs> and we all know how things can spiral down. So that'd be my best advice is, you know, don't be too hard on yourself and don't be afraid to give a sincere apology because they go a long way and we're not immune. We should never try to grant ourselves immunity.
0: Absolutely. I think the uh, distinction you just made between accountability and perfection slash criticism is really, really important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Extreme criticism, really, when you think about it, is not accountability. You're not truly holding yourself accountable when you're overly critical of yourself. You're actually doing the opposite. You're creating more troubles for yourself and, and affecting
0: true accountability. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That makes a lot of sense. And it's a little counterintuitive if you're not really thinking about it. But again, if you're not accountable, you can't really apologize. You can't really improve. You can't really be the best dad that you can be. Again, best is probably not the, I use best as the best you can be, not as like a best dad or a perfect dad. Because again, we can get in that language. We're like, oh, would a best dad do this? Or would a, but if you take it and say, hey, a best dad would not lose his temper. And I did. It's not means I'm a bad dad. It means I need to hold myself accountable and figure out why I lost my temper and how I can be more patient and how next time that doesn't happen, right? I like that. So let's talk about creating meaningful moments with your family. And specifically, I want to start with your book about family board meetings. I think it's such a great concept and would love to dig in a little more if you don't mind.
1: Yeah. You know, the time goes fast and you want to mark the moments. There's too much passing time. Not that that kind of junk time of hanging out at the table or watching a favorite show together or driving them to school is not great. Those are, but you want to have more in-depth time of stronger memory makers, I believe. So what I started doing many years ago with each of my children, I spend a half day every quarter with each of my children. One-on-one, no phones allowed, and I let them build the day, choose the day, create the day, and I go all in. And that's really what my book's about. This simple rhythm of reconnecting with my children every 90 days on a personal one-on-one level, doing something fun and having some meaningful conversation with full focus, no distractions, no emails, no texts, no other friends, or even your spouse. And it had some profound effects in my life. So as I started to say the story, and now it's been well 12 years, there's been a decade of proof that this one strategy has helped a lot of entrepreneurs stay grounded at home.
0: I love that. Yeah. So first of all, does your spouse also do the board meetings individually? She does,
1: but it's very important one-on-one time with all the family. What we learned was it was very important for me especially to do it because I'm the busy entrepreneur. My wife was already pretty grounded at home and, and I was the more missing link, if you will, because I was working more. I was away more. And also my two oldest sons I adopted when they were seven and five. So I was stepping in from behind. My wife was married in a terrible, terrible situation and got out, stood up for herself, got full custody. And I met her a short time later. And my two now oldest sons asked me to adopt them at seven and five. Great experience, but I was stepping in, talk about 18 summers. I had already missed seven and five of them, or I was going in the seventh and fifth. And so it was important for them to get to know me. And I was already working. There were trust issues, as you can imagine, going through a hard time like that. So it was important for me. So I do like to see both parents do it, But there's probably a parent who's less close to the children. There's probably a parent that's probably working more and less attentive. And that wouldn't have been me. So that parent, it's absolutely pinnacle that they get these in.
0: Makes a lot of sense. And to your point, you can sense it in the relationship or you and the spouse talk about it and say, hey, I I would like to do this too. And that's great. That's more bonding experiences. Or uh, depending on the situation, they might spend all their time with the kids and they might want to get out while you do that or whatever it is. So when you start planning those meaningful moments, or I understand the kids plan them, plan that half day, and it's a very special bonding experience. I'd be curious at a high level what you found in common with the days or moments or events that are most meaningful, and then the ones that maybe don't land as well. So sort of a two-part question, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I, I really think they all land well. I mean, honestly, if you schedule a half a day or a day with your child where you're one on one, there's no electronic distractions and they've created the day and you're going all in and there's going to be possibly the opportunity for some meaningful conversation at the end. It's almost like an unfair advantage for building the relationship because it just rarely happens. I didn't have that with my father. I know that we're parents. And so there might be times where there's a deeper conversation or more conversation, but I don't think any of them are a failure. Sometimes I think some of the most memorable people are like, oh, wow, I get my kid to open up to me. 15 second conversation and you say something that's overdue. Maybe it's an apology. Maybe it's sincere compliment. You know, and I talk about this in the book and that's all that needs to be said. That said a million words. So for what was memorable for you, you're not sure what would be memorable from them. And I don't know, I've had some reflections back from my sons and now my daughter, ones that I didn't remember as so potent of a moment that they did. There's ones that might be a little more high scale, but all of them will have merit.
0: Love that. That makes a lot of sense. And what you're saying about what hits you know, you don't know what memories your kids are gonna have. You know, if you think back to your childhood, when I think back to mine, I have very specific moments, you know, of joy with my parents and different events, but I bet they would be surprised to hear about some of them or might have forgotten about some of them as being really, really meaningful to me, not because it's not important to them, but because they didn't even realize, you know, just that little throwaway, gosh, you're so special. Gosh, I love you. Whatever it is can, like you say, you know, 15 seconds can just heal everything and just get you guys in a great place and continue the relationship. I'd be curious, the board meetings, it's a planned event with your child, in terms of more spontaneous, meaningful moments. So not around a board meeting, just getting up for breakfast, the day-to-day, you know, are you finding things that translate from the big meeting to the little ones, or does that make sense?
1: What I found is when you take this one-on-one time with your children, the in-between times seem more personable, they seem more connected, you seem closer. So all the times in between these one-day meetings seem to bridge us closer. And so spontaneity is a good thing. You know, once in a while, I'll say, you know what? Yeah, I'll I'll take you to school today and let's stop here. And I'll postpone a meeting and I'll do it. I'm all about spontaneity. But I think rhythmizing is so important. People talk about spontaneity. They don't schedule things like date night every Wednesday, five thirty to eight thirty with my wife is date night. You know we have it on whether we have a new baby or you know things going on like we keep real sacred that date night and rarely miss it. I used to mess it up all the time till we had a set day and time, so I'm so busy I'm an a d d entrepreneur. So I think spontaneity is good, but rhythmizing and locking something down in a schedule, man, that's super powerful because it holds that space sacred. It doesn't get trampled over. And then those few hours, man, that's where the fun happens. I'm all for spontaneity, but I think first thing people have to do is really start to rhythmize. Like I'm saying a day, a quarter, make sure you schedule that day or it's not going to happen. You know, if you haven't gone on a date with your spouse in several months, and this happens when I speak at a lot of events and ask that say, holy cow, put the next one on the calendar and try to see if you can match that one every week or every other week, you know, consistently. So if you're always changing and say, well, let's try to go out Friday or maybe we'll do it this Wednesday. It gets confusing. We're all moving fast. So for my simple ADD brain, I can just say Wednesday, 530 to 830, Wednesday, 530 to 830. So keep spontaneity out there. But I think you'll have the opportunity for more spontaneity when you rhythmize certain really powerful things in your life.
0: Absolutely. And that's the direction I was about to go. You know, the family board meetings is such an innovative idea, yet simple. I mean, in a really, really good, good way, you know, as you say, you implement it and now you've built in bonding time and it's not fake. It works. You're, you know, like you're creating these real moments. And another, you know, challenge that my audience is consistently talking about is the relationship with our wives or our partner our spouse, right? And like you're saying, hey, you got to create the space like you're doing with your kids. If you don't create the formal time and space, it's really easy for that relationship to kind of go by the wayside. There's just so much to do when you have I mean you have you have more kids than I do. But <laughs> just with two kids it's a lot, you know. And it's really hard. I mean, something always has to give, right? I mean, before I had kids, I could work out all the time. I could you know whatever it is. I still work out all the time. I'm more productive about it. You know, you have to just plan your time. And on a personal level, it's fairly easy to do that. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, you know, working out in my business, and then family, I have to, again, your innovative family board meeting idea. But then on the spouse side, I think that's same thing. You know, if you don't create those date nights, and are those always without kids? You're always out of the house or how does? There were a few times that, you
1: know, we put our newborn in the sling and the newborn came with us, you know, and just slept in the sling with my wife. But, yeah, it's just us. again. I think it's really important to be separating the parts to strengthen the whole. Like my wife and I need time, just the two of us, you know, to have a healthy marriage. And that, that can be a really tricky thing. It can be on both spouses, but sometimes the mom can have a lot of mom guilt where they almost feel like, oh, I feel terrible leaving our children. And I always say to them, what kind of example are you setting for your son or daughter for them when they grow up? If you're saying, oh, I feel terrible about, then they're going to follow the same thing. And you want your daughter to be treated well, respected and and courted and they say, Oh, absolutely. I said, Well, you deserve the same thing. And and you're setting a good example when you do that. So it's really important for that buy-in to realize that you're actually strengthening the family. You're not taking away from it by honoring that one-on-one time together.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a really wise statement. That's what a lot of moms and dads deal with, you know, frankly, because as you said, when you're at this age with the young kids, you understand, hey, they want to be with me. They're sad when I leave. (laughs) There's going to be a point where they say, thank you for leaving, dad. (laughs) I got the house to myself. That's probably helpful in one way to kind of see both sides. But again, I personally have that guilt sometimes going out because my kids are saying, hey, why aren't you here for bedtime? Babysitter putting us to bed who they love, but it's still, it's not mom and dad. And so, well, this is mom and dad going on a date and we go out.
1: If you're going out six nights a week, yeah, I don't agree with that. Once a week, I think it's a very, I've seen it now enough If the marriage is stronger, I think the family dynamic is stronger, and that's good for the kids. And the simplicity of a rhythmized weekly date night, it's not going to get you all the way there, but I've seen it get people 80% of the way there, coming back for some real disconnection.
0: I love that. Yep. It forces you to go back to, hey, we were bonding over things before we had kids in a lot of cases, or who were we before? Because we have kids, things have changed a lot in our day-to-day and almost every way, but still we're who we are, and we need to build this relationship to build the family. I love what you said about, you know, you separate the part to strengthen the whole. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about giving your kids medicine, I think you talked about on one of your podcasts, you know, decisions you have to do that your kids don't like, but help them. So I just went through this with a uh, bicycle camp with my son. He did not want to go, you know, and it was a boom, 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 fighting, and fighting is not quite the right word, but it wasn't easy getting him there. Did he not want to attend the camp, or he was... That's right. He didn't want to attend, you know, and I think there was fear is kind of an underlying, you know, he hadn't been able to ride his bike. He learned. So it was really a huge success and he loved the camp. He wants to go back at the end of the summer, but that's just an example where I'd be curious kind of how you draw that line and how that line changes as the kids get older.
1: I think that, you know, you always hear about the nurturing, bringing them in and loving them and the one who pushes from the nest, you know, it's very healthy to push them from the nest. The more business success I've had, it always required me to step out of my comfort zone, obviously responsibly and not, you know, putting your kids in a, you know, extremely dangerous situation. But things that are just like you just described where it'd probably be good for him. He likes it. He's shown a real desire to be involved with it, but fear paralyzes him. I think that's when as good parents, we have to not bring them in, but we have to push them a little, obviously not into traffic or some like, you know, huge downhill in Denver where you could go to, but you do want to push them and say, no, you got this and show confidence and resolve. And that's been a really important of the relationship I have with my teens, especially for sure. Hey, no, you you can do this. You can try this.
0: Absolutely. And I think there's something to embracing failure as well, you know, saying, hey, I tried and I couldn't do this, but I tried again. And now I can.
1: Yeah, yeah. And my son, my oldest son, he's always wanted to have a charter fishing business. Great fisherman. We have friends who have charter fishing businesses do very well. Uh, through his senior year of high school, he took the rigorous classes to get his boat captain's license. And, you know, it was he had to go live in South Florida for a few weeks and some tough testing, very tough testing. Well, the first time around, he failed. He had passed four of the five tests, but you have to retake it all. And he had missed the fifth test by like two questions. I mean, it was so close. And he really, I remember we were driving home in complete silence and he was discouraged and bummed. He had worked really hard. He was like me, very initiative driven, but not the best student, you know, and he was like, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. And I just reminded him, I said, buddy, I've read time and time again that mentors tell me that so many people are on the one-yard line, and they don't even realize it, and they give up on the one-yard line. I said, I think you might want to rethink that. I said, every time that I thought about failing on something that I really wanted to do and stuck with it, it took me out at a whole new level. And sure enough, a few months later, he took and he passed all of them. And he felt the amount of satisfaction and reassurance. Again, it's nothing that I was forcing him to do or saying, I think you should do this career It's what he wanted. He really enjoyed this. In fact, there are monthly, quarterly meetings. This is what he wanted to do. He always wanted to go fishing or could we rent this boat and do that? So we saw this talent coming out of him and um, that did it. But I think the whole point is failure. We just say, I don't know anyone. I just had um, a billionaire on my podcast where he's close to a billionaire, Brian Scudamore from 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I'm sure you've seen those around. And Brian said, Jim, through the people that we've met, do you know one person that hasn't had severe failures, you know, in entrepreneurship? And the answer was no, no one, no one. So the more that we can encourage and say, oh, that's part of the process, that's part of going, instead of, again, that dang word, perfection, I think it does justice.
0: I love that. That's right on. And such an important lesson, right? I mean, it's the lesson of grit. You have to keep trying. Nothing comes easy, as you said. I mean, everyone, everyone fails. So I have one last question. It's a two-part one for you here. I want to know, you know, based on all your experience working with families, what commonalities you see in successful families and then what commonalities you see in families that are still trying to grow or get to a point they're happier at?
1: Commonalities of success are they're involved. They're involved. I mean, there's, I forget the stat where it was really sad that if a parent is away too much, the odds of the child suffering harm were extreme. So, this means anyone who has no money, a lot of money, you know, because some people can still do that. It's not the money, it's the involvement. Involvement is really important. And so, I I encourage involvement, not helicopter parenting, but involvement. You know, know your kids' friends, get involved, talk to them questions, spend quality time together. I mean, pretty simple recipe, eat dinner together. This involvement is absolute key. Three things I'd say, involvement, rhythms. The most successful families have rhythms. Family dinner, they do our quarterly board meeting, they do a date night, they have a meeting on Sunday, they have two vacations they plan a year, they're involved with a a service organization that they volunteer with twice a year. They have rhythms set, and those are kind of the guideposts to their family values and, and life, and leaves plenty of time for other things, but those hold them together. And the last thing that, that a lot of people don't talk about or want to talk about is the most successful families don't try to pick the path for their children. And that's something where we get overbearing on. And sometimes it's for protection. Sometimes it's to make them live out the dreams that we had. Sometimes it's because we want to brag to the neighbor. None of those are really good reasons to try to pick the path for your children. Um, when you do, you might be stifling something you haven't seen that's just under the surface, their own gifts, talents that are unique to them. When we try to pick the path for them, I always warn people, if you try to pick the path for your children, be prepared to carry it because they're going to run out of steam and the odds of them developing resentment come pretty high. So those are the three best things that I could say is just make sure you evolve, you have rhythms and you don't try to pick their path in life. That's a really bad idea. To make it, it's pretty easy saying the ones that are still struggling, you know, and no, again, no one's perfect, but there's some that struggle more than others. Well, the opposite. They are not involved. They're trying to delegate completely to a spouse or a grandparent or a nanny or a babysitter or the school, you know, so they're not involved. And then they're the opposite of everything that we just talked about. That's the problem with that when you're the opposite. They don't have rhythms in their life. There's no cohesion. And then they're saying, We know it's best for our kids. And they try to pick their path for them and force them to follow it. Entrepreneurs do that a lot. I tell them, I say, Just realize you can teach the values of entrepreneurship but your child might not be an entrepreneur and that's okay. They can still have a great successful life, one of the resource and happiness and impact. So people struggling do the opposite of what I tell are the most three powerful, to be honest.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, with your number one commonality and successful is involvement. And what I tell my audience, and I think is true, is if you're on my website, if you're on a dad's path, you're on the right path because you're trying to improve. If you have your book, Jim, The Family Board Meeting, and it's not collecting dust, you know, you read it or you're listening to your podcast, 18 Summers, you're involved. You're trying to be involved. doesn't mean you're going to be successful, but.
1: And that's the first step. So that means people are taking the first step. So they like, oh, I'm so far away. I'm like, you're probably further along than you know, if you're doing that. So that's, that's a good sign. The ones that scare me when I say this are the ones who say, no, I'm fine. I got family life down. I got it figured out. That's normally a, a pretty big blind spot.
0: I believe it. Well, there's a lot we went through here today, Jim. I really appreciate you joining me. Again, you can listen to Jim on uh, the 18 Summers podcast. You can find his book, The Family Board Meeting, on their website, 18summers.com. And uh, thanks for joining us here, Jim. It was good being here, Will. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good one here. Take care. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you haven't joined us yet, go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. And do you know a friend who might like this podcast? Send it on. We want to help as many dads as possible make fatherhood count. Dad on.